she said, Deacon from a land down under Where women glow and man thunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? Yeah You better run, you better take cover Yeah You better run, you better take cover Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cider Nation podcast, a unique baseball podcast. Today we have Brewers right-handed pitcher Eric Yardley. Thanks for coming on, Eric. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I guess first things first, Eric, could you talk to us a little bit about kind of your arm slot story and how that all came about? Yeah, I uh, um, kind of forced into it in a um, in a good way, um, I guess. Uh, I was playing at Seattle university and was everything was going downhill fast with being an infielder and trying to pitch and whatnot. And just wasn't really competing anymore. And basically got a call in between, um, my sophomore and junior year of college. So 2011 ish, I think. And coach basically was like, Hey man, like you're not going to really be on the team anymore unless we drop you down and see what happens and try and use some of your athleticism and, and hopefully it works out. And I was like, well, that, uh, sounds like you made the decision for me. So, uh, like, I guess we'll do it. And, and, uh, so that summer, um, I was in Walla Walla, Washington and, um, I was in the bullpen for them and just kind of would, I was still throwing over the top of the time in games, but, all of my practice was attempting to drop down and that's kind of the, the start of it. And then it was, it turned into like my last couple outings, I would be standard kind of over the top stuff. And then every now and then drop one in just to kind of see what it was like, see a reaction. And then that was kind of the, that was kind of the start of the whole thing. And I guess you mentioned, Eric, you, you, you were kind of a dual guy. You played some infield. So you were obviously kind of maybe throwing from that slot in the infield already. Uh, yes. And that actually really helped with our decision as a group to drop down. We had dropped down a few people at Seattle university before that, but just the concept of like, you know, you're making, you're making throws from all angles and I played all of the infield spots. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to make a, you know, a half throw from second base or something like that. It was whether it was shortstop, third base, anything like that. So basically when I started learning how to do it and when they want to try and find what was you know a more natural arm slot for me i was basically turning double plays down the mound toward home plate so instead of instead of coming across second base and throwing to first like i would come across the pitcher's mound and throw to a catcher and then whatever kind of felt comfortable and got my body moving down the slope that way was where we kind of decided to um stick with what height we were going to release from and it really helped in the transition from trying to really just be comfortable moving in that specific position. And then I guess, Eric, what pitches do you throw in kind of velocity wise, kind of where are you at? Uh, so when I was first learning, um, I was, I think when I was over the top, I was like 87 ish. I, I, I mean, that was, it's crazy to think back in 2010 and 11, like we didn't really have all the, you know, none of the rap soda stuff existed. No. And, and 
So like, I don't even know how hard I threw, honestly, I'm sure there was somebody with a radar gun, but I wasn't on any scouts, uh, radar at the time. So like, I never heard anybody like, Oh man, like you were 90, 92 today or whatever spin this, that, and the other thing. But when I first started dropping down, I was like 77 to 79, like just trying to get the ball over the plate. And as we've progressed, as my body's learned, to to move more efficiently from that slot nowadays i think i think this past season and 2020 i was 85 87 you could mix in some 88s i know that there was one game at wrigley that i was 90 and some 91s but i was pretty juiced that game so that's <laughs> it's kind of the outlier um and then i throw a frisbee slider thing that's usually kind of in the low 70s and 71 73 um, and then last year of work in progress was a change up that was had some success with it. That that's kind of that 79 to 81 range. Um, so that's, that's about what they're at usually. I mean, it's a question I get asked to Eric kind of all the time, like just, you know, gaining more velocity from the lower arm slot. And it's definitely something I struggle with. I found the harder I threw from there. I was actually less effective. Like any kind of thoughts on that or any advice on that? Uh, I get that question a lot as well. Um, You know, obviously, as you know, we have a, I mean, the, the group is growing of different arm slot, funky arm slot guys, um, lefties, righties. It's as I feel like as the game has become faster and specifically on the pitching side, guys are throwing harder you know, if the, if the average velocity is 94 now or whatever it is out of a bullpen, like there's a lot of the population that just can't compete at that. Like, I don't care how hard you work. I don't care how hard, um, like you just, your, your body just can't do it. And if you're, if you're in high school, just trying to enjoy your life, you know, play basketball, play football, um, enjoy school, have a musical instrument, anything like that. Like if you don't have the ability to just throw or lift or do anything every single day or however you want to do your regimen like you just you can't compete with that velo and so i feel like guys are starting to find that you can find that kind of funkiness or something different and so that you know i'll get i get guys who will reach out on instagram or on twitter all the time and i'll say how do you do this how do you do that and i feel like to answer your question like the the more fluid and the more comfortable we can be with how our bodies move is what our potential is going to get to. So like, I didn't ever throw heavy balls. I didn't really change my lifting program. I didn't eat differently. I didn't do anything or that, but I think my body became more used to the movement that we changed after 18 years. You know, we, we grew up throwing one specific way for all the way through high school, for me, through college, for, other guys all the way through pro ball until somebody drops them down. And now all of a sudden you're saying at 23 years old, Hey man, change, change how you do this. And it takes your body some time to become mechanically sound and able to do that stuff. And, uh, so I feel like I noticed that that, that helped in my velocity jump more than anything else. And I think I got a little long winded there and I can't quite remember the second part of that question which I do from time to time. No, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, is that something too, Eric? Like even when I dropped down, like it kind of made pitching fun again um, and kind of almost was able to kind of 
yeah, like I was obviously struggling. There was a reason why I got asked to drop down, but it just, it made, it made pitching fun again for me. Was that something maybe for yourself or? Yeah. I mean, failure sucks Yeah, like, <laughs> in general, like, and uh, it doesn't matter if it's baseball, if it's life, if it's anything like failing sucks. And if you can find a way yeah. to not fail anymore and like, especially compete, at whatever level you're at, like it's, I mean, it's way more fun. And then when you can do it, when you can go get the same guys out that the most elite pitchers of your region or of your team or your league are doing, and you do it in kind of a weird way, but it works for you. Yeah. So it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And that's what, like when I dropped down in, in college, like, I mean, I could get outs, but I wasn't, doing it consistently and then we dropped down and there was still some learning curve but then i remember it all clicking kind of when we played washington state and so you're playing against these guys who they're better than you like period washington state university of washington oregon oregon state when you're in the northwest like you play against those guys and you know you cannot compete and then when you do it all kind of clicks and you go hey i can do this like this is this is legit. This is fun. This is like, I've never been on these like travel teams, these scout teams, this, that, and the other thing. And I just got all of you out. Like this is, this is fun. And it kind of, it carries it through it. Like, obviously not a lot of people get a chance to do it in professional baseball, but you, you get to see that you go to the rookie league and you do it against, you know, some of the guys you've heard of who were big name in the draft or whatever, but you also like, it's your first time playing against, the the latin players that come over and you're like oh okay you know it's kind of a learning curve there and then a ball you start having success against more first rounders against more big name prospects and it kind of grows and double a triple a and then obviously you get to the big leagues and the first time you get anybody out out there is really cool but then you start putting names to you know guys that you've watched for the last several years and you know, it's, it's fun to get those guys out and know that like you're doing it and you're doing it consistently and you're doing it because you deserve to. And I guess Eric, this can be a difficult question. Uh, any mechanical tips that you would have from pitching from a lower slot? Um, I, I think it's person to person. Yeah. Uh, I think I, that's, I, I, I'm sure, you know, like, and and I feel like baseball in general is person to person, but more specifically with us, just because like me, Adam Simber, Hobie Milner, Alex Claudio, um, Gerardo Reyes, um, just to name a few right now. I think Tyler Kelly, I think it's Tyler Kelly, who actually just signed with Milwaukee, I think I saw, but I got to watch him with Gwinnett this year in AAA. We're all sidearm submarine some form of funk and we're all different we all move differently and so like simber is super lanky super um whippy with everything he does so i wouldn't tell him the same thing i'd tell me and then gerardo reyes is throws a hundred and so he's doing something completely different and i've played with all these guys or against all of them and you know, Claudio and, and uh, Milner are the exact same arm slots. I mean, I played catch with them over the last two years. Um, they were both like, Claudio was my catch partner in 2020. Milner was my catch partner in 2021. And they throw from almost an identical slot when you break it all down. 
but they move in completely different ways. <laughs> yep. And, and, uh, like Claudio can spin the ball better than Milner can, but Milner can throw a little almost rising fastball that, that neither side of the plate can touch. They just can't see it. And so mechanically, I feel like there's, there's little base things about being in your legs and, and making sure that everything's working toward home plate. You know, I like to kind of look down my shoulder to my glove, to the catcher's mid, almost like, uh, almost like if you're thinking like a golf shot, um, shoulder being at the target or hips all in line and whatnot. But some guys like to be across their body. Some guys like to be open. I like to be pretty neutral. Um, when me and Simber were coming up together, like he was all the way on the first base side of the mound and I was all the way on the third base side and we both got outs consistently. Um, so I always struggle with that. And whenever people reach out, I always ask for some sort of video because the bottom line is if, if you're across your body, but your body doesn't work that way, then it's, I mean, that's a pretty easy way to start, especially when you're, when you're dropping down and working against your hips, essentially. And I had to learn that too, because I, I want to be open, but I was cutting myself off because of it. So it's, it's person to person specifically with the arm slot thing, but, um, just baseball in general these days is getting very, very specific to the person I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And and what works for one pitcher isn't necessarily going to work for another. Not everyone is a Rollers Chapman and <laughs> definitely <laughs> yes. yeah, very specific. Um, and it's definitely something like I, I was that lefty lefty and I kind of did that crossfire. And I, But at the same time, looking back at it, I definitely feel like I was restricting my hips. Yeah. For sure. And I feel like that's what I've noticed with a lot of people is they send a video or, or you watch them throw. And if you aren't incredibly flexible or if you aren't in some sort of specific strength with how your lower body and your, and your back mobility work, like you could be actually hindering your potential by cutting yourself off. But also there's some people that it's such a load that it explodes out of your hand better that way. So you just, you just never know until you try things. And, and I spent a lot of time myself with headphones in, throwing against the wall at Seattle University to try and figure all that out. So, I mean, trial and error and, and see what happens. Any advice, Eric? Uh, maybe someone trying, you know, debating on changing their arm slot. Any advice you'd have for someone? Kind of maybe one foot in, one foot out? Um... I don't know how to say this in a way, but like, so to me, if I like, this is going to sound bad. If I could have gotten to the big leagues as a standard pitcher, I think the amount of information and training ability and all the heavy balls, all the programs, all that stuff is so abundant that I feel like it's a lot easier to adjust when needed so i feel like if i could still be a stock pitcher i would that being said if you're not competitive anymore or you feel like you're starting to lose your traction as a pitcher then absolutely drop down like just go with what's going to compete because the bottom line is with today's game like if you get outs and if you get outs consistently and you do something different you will get a shot if the right person sees you and like 
the bottom line is whichever one you decide to do, you have to be fully committed to. There is no like, oh, I think I'm going to be over the top still, or I think I'm going to drop down. I'm not really sure. Like once you decide to drop down, you got to, you got to put your brain around it because it's different and there's not a ton of people who can help you. And so you have to do the research. You have to do the work. You have to feel your body move in a way that other people don't know how. And so you have to just go full hundred percent commit into it and, and just attack the thing. Yeah. And it's something I know some other guests have kind of said, like just kind of having that self-assessment and kind of know where you're at in the bullpen. And obviously hitters are going to let you know, like you, yeah. And you have to almost realize kind of where you're at in your baseball career. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like for example, I knew that I was going to be done in college if I didn't do this and I didn't have any plans of playing professional baseball. So it was more so how can I keep a player uniform on for longer? And if that was going to allow me to play two more years of college baseball, sweet. And somehow that was, like I said, that was 10 years ago, 12 years or 11 years ago now. So if you had told me that when I dropped down, I was going to be playing baseball going into my 31st year of life, I would have called you crazy, but we're here. <laughs> And we're still doing it and I'm still preparing for another spring training. So, you know, I mean, you just never know. You never know where life is going to take you, but you definitely never know where baseball is going to take you. And if I hadn't dropped down, I would have never had the opportunity to throw against those four schools I was talking about to, to have Jimmy Scherfe pitching for Oregon in the ninth, which meant the scouts stayed at, our, our field in Bellevue, uh, Washington, and I had to pitch before him and therefore they saw me throw, um, or, uh, I think it was Schultz from Oregon state was their big closer. We went to extra innings against them. And if he didn't throw that day, they wouldn't have stuck around to then I threw four innings of extra innings and he threw like seven innings of extra innings. And so the scouts stuck around. You just, you never know where the game's going to go and who you're going to get out that day or who you're going to make look uncomfortable that makes somebody go, huh, I can work with that. So, I mean, just just find what's comfortable, find what's competitive, buy and, and just go as hard as you can. No, and that's definitely a very good point, Eric. You never know who's in the stands or who's watching, whether that's college, you know, recruiting or, you know, pro scout. You you never know who's in the stands. Absolutely. And especially now with cameras being like everybody's filming everything these days. So like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's the case with, with professional baseball. There's cameras everywhere um, just for uh, uh, as the game progresses and as it helps with development for everybody. And so you never know. Heck, even just like standing there for BP, you never know who's watching how you throw the ball, like all that little stuff, whether it's real or not, you still have to be somewhat conscious of just how you're acting, who you're talking to, like all that kind of stuff. And so when you think about those high school kids who think they're not being watched, I, I bet you there's, there's somebody that you don't know might be a football coach who has a brother in professional baseball. And all of a sudden, you you gained or lost the spot because of how you chose to act or how you chose to take a day off or have a mental lapse and all of a sudden you're you're maxing out at high school or you're maxing out at JUCO or you're maxing out at 
division one or you're maxing out an a ball like you just never know yeah and it's kind of interesting even for myself kind of getting into scouting now and and i kind of took some advice from a you know the scout himself but he was kind of saying like he just kind of watches the game from you know the outfield or walks around and watches the game he doesn't necessarily like standing right behind with the radar gun because then everyone knows he's there right but <laughs> exactly exactly i mean it's so true <laughs> and not necessarily like tell the coach ahead of time like hey i'm showing up right and then obviously the coach is going to be like hey there's an oriole scout in town or you know come to the game and but it's i i personally i just like showing up and yeah you never know <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I used to do that at, uh, so I live in Arizona now, but when I lived back in Seattle and I'd go back to the Seattle university practices as, as the classes came in and left and whatnot with, uh, as I got further removed from my time at Seattle U and who I played with, I'd go in and watch those guys, um, throw their live BPs or, or take ground balls or do all that stuff. And I just kind of sit in the back and, if you weren't aware of who I was at the time, you might just think it's, Oh, it's one of Donnie Harold's friends or it's, Oh, it's one of, it's just so-and-so. And what you don't realize is that I'm not a scout, but a scout might call me and go, Hey, like just wanted to like, let you know, like I've been looking at so-and-so do you by chance know how he is as a guy? Not as a baseball. I know he can play baseball, but how did you interact with him when he was a freshman? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you don't know if if you uh, me the wrong. I would never try to you know screw somebody over per se, but like I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna put my name as you know as a scout. You're gonna put your name on the guys that you respect and that you would want to put your name on and you want to be affiliated with. And so if you don't think about who that guy you saw at a party one night or something, it's like. Oh crap. Did I just burn a bridge with one of the potential opportunities or did I help grow my brand? And especially with the social media world these days, I mean, you just you just never know who you're rubbing the right way or who you're rubbing the wrong way. And then I guess Eric, what would be your favorite part about pitching from down under? <laughs> um, I think the the reactions that I get <laughs> from guys who are very, very good hitters and can pull a 102 mile an hour fastball for a home run to left, but are late on a fastball. that's 86 from my arms. I think there's something about those swings. When you watch a right-handed hitter foul one off over the first base dugout and kind of just shake their head, like what in the world just happened? I think I think that uh, that has been definitely a a joyful thing that has happened at every level that I've played, and it's even on some of my worst days. There's still every now and then one or two of those. It's just like that's right. This is this is fun, and you can do this to anybody. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's definitely something I try and kind of talk to guys like kind of that perceived velocity, right? And especially just, you know, the lower you can get and that 86 can look like 93, 94 to the hitter. So it's not just radar gun readings, right? And Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I think the actual like perceived velocity just concept helps us more than 
the calculated perceived velocity because like you just said it's like oh well it's 86 but it looks like 93 and people are like yeah well people see 93 all the time <laughs> it's like okay but there's there's just something different about the deception that we have when we do it right that i mean i've had guys tell me before like i would rather face 98 than face you and i'm like you're lying and they're like no look at like Watch me in the eighth inning in a, in a double-A game against, you know, young prospect who throws 98 with a slider and then watch me in the eighth inning in a double-A game against somebody like you and I'm going to be way more comfortable against 98 with a slider. I'm like, all right, man. Like, <laughs> thanks for that. And then I guess, Eric, you didn't necessarily have the traditional route. Um, you kind of played indie ball and, and you know, the Picos League, too. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, it, uh, um, it would have been a lot easier to do the old get drafted, <laughs> go play a couple of years of minor league baseball and then get to the big leagues. Um, but, you know, that's not as fun. Um, yeah, so went undrafted. Uh, I remember I was doing, I was finishing up my finals, getting ready essentially to do, get ready for the tests to get into my master's in teaching program. And I had a former coach of mine call me and say, Hey, I have an opportunity in independent ball if you want to go play. And I was like, um, I don't even know what that is or what we're talking about, but sure. And so, um, there's a guy I trust, a guy that, um, means a lot to me and i was like all right like if you say so like i'll pack up the car and drove from washington to new mexico and got to what i've described to people as a uh, like almost like a beaten down frat house of air mattresses and just a group of guys in Vegas, new mexico just playing baseball an hour away. It was our home field in Taos. And I was sitting there going, what did I get myself into? Like what, like, cause I was just trying to finish out the summer. I wasn't trying to do anything crazy. I had no aspirations. I didn't get drafted. So I figured it was over from there. Anyways, I was going to finish, say I played pro baseball and then go back to, and get my master's. And so basically it was just down there. We you play, I mean, the, the league has expanded now. Um, as far as I know, but we got down there, we were playing on kind of not great high school fields, I'd say, and then a few junior college fields. And I've, I've told people and, and anybody who's played independent ball knows that like the Pecos league is, I would, I would say the lowest of the low, but it's professional baseball. And the thing that I tell everybody, yep. and I make sure that they know this is that, that league is never short on players and it's growing. Like I am forever thankful that I got to go do that because it opened my eyes to what guys are willing to do to play baseball and how lucky I am to be where I am. And whether that's in the Arizona rookie league or if it's in the big leagues or what it is like, it's, there are people playing baseball at what I would say, like I said, the lowest of the low making no money and they're 
asking to do it. They aren't being forced to. Nobody is saying, hey, you have to go play professional baseball and independent. But they're doing it, and they love it, and they want to be there. And I met a lot of great dudes who I still keep in touch with. Um, Social media has helped a lot with that. But, like, it's a blessing in disguise because is there a lot of promise going to that league? Not really. But is it a chance to play professional baseball? Is it a chance to fulfill a bucket list and maybe an opportunity? Because again, like we were just talking about, you never know who's watching. Absolutely. And then kind of after getting signed there, Eric, did you, I mean, I was kind of out of the Picos league, like we talked about, like, did you kind of have nothing to lose after that or? Yeah. I mean, the, the Padres needed, you know, it was right after the draft. They, you know, it comes from the guys not signing, you know, the high school guys to go to college or juniors that didn't get the money value that they deserved um, kind of thing. So they, they start filling spots. And so um, when I got to Arizona, like to me, that was going to the big leagues. Like I went from the Pecos league to an affiliated job. I am now under contract with a major league baseball team. And, you know, in the Arizona league, it's cool because you're putting on essentially the big league uniform. So when you're in the minors, you're putting on the Fort Wayne 10 caps, um, Jersey, you're putting on the San Antonio missions or the Nashville sounds. But when you're in the Arizona league, you're putting on the San Diego Padres Jersey. And so it's like, you put that on and you go, okay, like we, like we did it even though you're still so far away at that point in time, but you don't realize it. And so I was like, all right, like, let's go pitch and let's go, let's go see what happens. And then, um, you know, in, in our specific role, part of being sidearm, part of being an undrafted guy is you got to succeed and then you get moved up and then you succeed and you go back down because they ran out of spots and then you succeed again and then you go back up and then you finally stay and then, you succeed again and then you go back down because they ran out of spots and then you succeed again and you just keep doing the kind of, I guess I'd say two steps forward, one step back. So you're still making progress. You're just making progress slower than others would do. And as long as you can keep your, your, uh, your momentum going forward, you always have a shot. And if, if you're in double A, if you're in triple A and somebody sees you and, the opportunity arises, then you might get that phone call. And for some people that takes a year for some people, it takes 10 years. That's what, uh, um, Jim Henderson, your fellow Canadian talking to him about, like I, I, uh, it took me six and a half and I was talking to him one time. I was like, I don't know, man, it took me a while. He goes, Oh no, you don't get to one up me (laughs) on this one. It, it took me 10 big guy. And I was like, man, and you just never know. And then he pitched for four years in the big leagues and probably could have pitched for longer if it didn't come to some sort of injury stuff. So like you just never know. And um, we actually live pretty close to each other now out here in Arizona. We've gotten pretty good friendship going just because we do have that different story. We did have to fight for everything and, uh, and succeed constantly just to get that one opportunity. And Again, completely different paths. I dropped down. He started throwing 97. Like, you just, you just, the stories just go on and on. And, uh, but yeah, again, like I said, like, if you can keep your momentum forward, 
and just keep your eye on the prize, you know, you start having a little bit more fun. You start seeing how fun the game can be and, and somebody will give you a shot. Hopefully. Yeah. I played with Jim on the junior national team and it was pretty fun to kind of see him just keep at it and then eventually make his MLB debut. That was definitely pretty special. Uh, even yourself, Eric, could you talk to us a little bit about your MLB debut? Um, yeah, it, uh, it went, I was there. Um, no, uh, no, I mean, you can't plan for it. I, I could believe that like, you know, the, the first rounders or even second round, you know, top 10 round guys who, who go to Vandy, go to those bigger name colleges. Like they probably plan on what it's going to be like, or they've, they've got an idea. They're like, I'm, I'm going to get there kind of thing. But I'd say that's a very, 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 very small percentage of people. Yes. And when you just, you just can't think through what it is. And for me, it was a 1230 day game on August 21st, which was actually both my parents' birthdays um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. So it was hot. It was a bullpen day. I don't eat when I get super anxious and nervous. So I hadn't eaten anything for two days. Like, and I essentially came in to face six right-handed hitters in a row in Cincinnati and cover, I think probably two innings was the job or until my spot came up in the lineup and I proceeded to get one out. So that went well. Um, and that one out was a, it wasn't a sacrifice bump. It was a, it was a bump for a base hit that essentially was a sack. Um, but, the the first pitch I ever threw in the big leagues was a line drive to left that in great American ballpark could always be a home run. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm that guy who gave up a home run in my first pitch and left fielders camped in it and it clanks off his glove. And I was like, Oh man. Okay. Like timeout, like take a step back and then bun out. And then it was just walk single, single or something. I mean, it just, it went downhill from there, but I still remember walking off. I still remember. I I definitely remember that. Like I didn't do my job at all in my debut as a 29 year old or whatever. And the first person to come to the mound that day when Andy green came to take the ball from me was Hosmer. And he patted me on the back and said, Hey, that's on us. You'll be here again. Mm. And I was like, well, hang on. Like you, I just, failed essentially and you're you know you've been around now for i think he was at eight years of time seven or eight years of time obviously he's got that big contract and it's like you're the one that's going to come out and tell me that like you know it's just a reassuring thing that everybody goes through a debut that like when you make it and you don't know how it's going to go you could go oh for five you could hit a homer you could punch out the side you could do everything but everybody has been everybody who's gotten to the big leagues has had a big league debut obviously and everybody knows that you're it's different there it's a different beast and it doesn't matter where you are who you're playing for um it's gonna be special and and i mean i remember walking off and and trying to take it in um there's actually kind of a cool video of it, but because to me, that was going to be my one and only 
day in the big leagues. Cause I like, I knew my story was long. I knew how all of that went to get there. And then I essentially came in in a perfect situation for me to have success. And I didn't. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get sent down today after the game. And then that's it. Like you're a big leaguer, but that's all you like. That's all you get. So I was kind of taking in the scenery and, and whatnot. And I always lift after I pitch. And I told the trainer, I was like, Hey man, I'm just, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stay in the dugout today and just kind of sat there and watched a baseball game. It ended up being a good game, but um, then I didn't get sent down. I got to throw one more time and that of course come in with, with a situation against the Red Sox and give up a single to Xander Bogarts and then a homer to JD, JD Martinez. And was like, Oh my God, you have no ability to pitch up here. And it can't get worse. And so I stepped off and I want to say it was Ben attendee. I can't remember which, who it was, but they hit an absolute laser to center field for an hour. And I was like, okay, there's, there's one. And after that, I went, I went two innings scoreless after that, just kind of cruised through um, that Boston lineup. That was really good that year. And, um, it kind of made me realize I ended up getting sent down after that, but it made me realize that I can pitch there and it can work and went down, put a little bit of work in, and AAA again, September call up, and then didn't give up a run all of September that year. So you just never know. And like, again, the, the thing that stands out to me about my debut isn't necessarily, you know, giving up runs or not getting outs or just taking the mound or where I was at mentally. It was, Hosmer coming up afterwards and being like, you're good. It's, it's going to be okay. Kind of thing. And I guess it's on MLB TV right now, like the Dominican winter league. And you played in that era. Could you talk to us a little bit about that experience for you? Uh, phenomenal. <laughs> like I, I have told so many people that if you, if you need to play, go play. Or if you have any sort of inkling, like Hunter Pence a couple of years ago, just uh, from what I heard, like he needed the reps, but he also just wanted to see what it was like. It's, I mean, it's a blast. And uh, another situation, kind of like independent ball, where you don't realize how good you have it until you see a different perspective. And like the games are so fun. I mean, it's, Every out, every pitch matters from the first pitch until the end. It's almost like playoff baseball here. Like there is no, you know, this is just a, this is just a throwaway game in July. It's like, it's, 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 we're playing for our lives essentially over there. And the crowd is into it. Everybody loves it. Everyone's having a good time. Um, if you're succeeding, you're the hero. If you're not, <laughs> they'll get rid of you. They'll, they'll pay off your contract and say, Hey man, like, thanks for coming, but we're here to win. And so not only do you get to to see a different point of view in the city that I was in, it wasn't one of the resort cities. I was in San Francisco, um, which is inland, just, just, uh, South of Santiago. And like basically, 
basically the the seven american imports we just we get on our shuttle the field we go play we go back to the hotel and um at no point in time did i ever feel unsafe but it definitely wasn't like the the resort kind of places that you see people talking about and i loved it like in 17 i went because i felt i needed to i needed to put my name on the map and in 18 i needed to do that as well but i went because i wanted to it wasn't just because an opportunity came up it was like i want to go play in the dominican again i want to go pitch for six more weeks because it's that fun it's that enjoyable and like there are some people who struggle with the culture and that's completely understandable like you're going to a whole different country but if if you can get over that part, like I suggest anybody going and at least watching a game or playing if they can, because it is just something else. And I mean, honestly, I think it's unlike anything that we offer in America just because of how invested the fans are in the game of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I only played in Columbia and I mean, I mean, it's, it's getting better. Um, and the fans were definitely into the whole game the whole time. Right. Whereas in North America, you know, they're, they're watching, but over in Columbia, like they get their money's worth. They, it didn't matter what the score was. You, you definitely have to be, you have to have your A game on the mound really. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like you're, you're locked in. Like it's, it's an exhausting game because I mean, it's almost like it's it's like a, a playoff atmosphere every time. Like, there's only thirty five or forty games in the regular season before the round robin thing. So, like, every game matters. Like, yeah. you you could get into the playoffs as a sixteen and sixteen team, and you could get out of the playoffs as a fourteen and seventeen team. Like, however that works out, like you have to play every single day, and so it's. It's a great learning experience, but it's also just a great baseball experience to see what sports can be like, you know, elsewhere. And I guess, Eric, anything kind of from a bullpen standpoint, like kind of, you know, being a relief pitcher, like I had a bad habit of maybe wasting too many bullets down there and kind of forgetting about the eight pitches that you get on the mound. Any any kind of advice, you know, from like a warm-up standpoint or being in the bullpen? Uh, I, I prefer to tell people to just find their routine. Um, I agree that a lot of us throw too much in the bullpen and you don't realize it until you get to July, August, September, and you just feel a little bit more tired. Yeah. But I also think there's something to be said about rushing yourself in the bullpen because I've gotten to play with some guys at the highest level who um, they, they take what seems like five warm-up pitches in the bullpen. They go out and they do their thing. And I've played with some of the best relievers in baseball also that, you know, it's, it's a 25, 26 pitch warm-up and then they go in the game. And I feel like the, the logical thing is to try and coach to the the shorter pitch count because of longevity throughout the season. But I also think there's something that's anti-productive when you try to fix your routine to longevity, because the bottom line is if you don't do your job tonight, 
you might not have your job tomorrow. So I, I suggest finding what works for you as a, as a pitcher and whatever makes you feel the most confident going into tonight or this morning, whatever time the game is, that's going to allow you to succeed because I can promise you, you'll have more regret trying to force something and failing or getting hit that day and not having another opportunity than you will three months down the road going, man, I'm tired. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I'm on the fence with how that goes, but I always, I always opt for, if you're not comfortable, you're not going to succeed. So like, what are you trying to force? Like I can guarantee you, if you get three hours before anybody scores, every coach on the planet is going to be happy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I guess Eric, it's just time for our ninth inning call of the bullpen. So it's just going to be some random questions just to learn a little bit more about you. Sounds good. Am I trying to be rapid fire here or do I get to think about it? A you, bit? No, like you could definitely think about it. All good. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, favorite NHL team. Uh, the Seattle Kraken now. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been waiting for a team to root for in Seattle for the longest time, and now that the Kraken are there, um, you know they they make it. It's it's a tough year to to root for because it's a severe roller coaster. I'm sure you've paid attention a little bit up there, but yeah, um, you know they they go out and, and beat the Hurricanes, and then they lose seven to two to somebody else after that. But it's all part of being an expansion team. But definitely. I definitely have a Kraken hat and a Kraken polo to go golfing with now. So, <laughs> Favorite travel destination? Ooh. Uh, favorite travel destination? Well, I just got back from Maui. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. Honey, honeymoon was in Kauai. So I think, I think I go along the lines with everybody else that Hawaii is a pretty, pretty fun travel location. <laughs> All-time favorite professional wrestler? I never really got into wrestling. So I do not know the answer to that question. So I would probably take whoever the popular opinion is and say whoever is winning the most. (laughs) Favorite baseball movie of all time? Uh, Probably Bull Durham. Um, And now that I've lived more of the minor league lifestyle and whatnot. I think they actually did a pretty dang good job of uh, um, making that about as realistic as you can get. But I'm also, I mean, I'm a, obviously the rookie because that that story is more true than people realize. And then also, um, I've always told people if you watch if you watch the rookie Bull Durham and Moneyball, you're going to get a pretty good idea of what actual baseball is like. And, uh, but I think I would go Boulder on one, the rookie two, and then Moneyball three, probably. And then, Eric, if you could golf or have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would you like to go with? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> any three people, any, dead or alive? Anyone. Okay. Um, now you're gonna put me on the spot for names that I can't remember that I think would be cool. No, I think I'd always this is gonna sound weird. I never really thought about it, but one of the first like explorers, just to know like 
when you came over, like for example, Lewis and Clark, let's say like, yeah, when you were like, nothing has been documented and you're just rolling through hoping to find them like, you know, someone, someone like that, just to, to pick their brain on that. Um, probably somebody like Jackie Robinson, just to, to hear what he went through. Yeah, absolutely. And, and whatnot. And then a third person. Oh man. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I've never thought about this question before. <laughs> well, I mean, it, would it, would you prefer it to be golf or dinner, Eric? Golf. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, any particular course? Um, I mean, I think it'd be cool to play Augusta just because you can't any other time. That's true. That's true. Um, honestly, though, I just the uh, the golf course I just played in Maui, the Wailea Emerald Course. Yeah, was the course itself was, you know, I mean, it was it was fun, but the views of that course were unlike anything that I've played before. Just, I would say 90% of that course had some sort of ocean view or the other surrounding islands of Maui and whatnot. Like my, my father-in-law had suggested it and I was like, okay, like I'll go play. Cause I only had, I only had time to play one time. Um, and so I was like, I asked him, I was like, Hey, if you're going to play one course in Maui, what would you play? And, and he suggested this one without a question. And I would highly suggest it to anybody as well. It is, well worth the money and like you could pay to go do some sort of tour of something or you could pay to go do something you thoroughly enjoy playing and also get the same amount of views um so i have recently gotten into golf this last year though since moving to arizona so i'm trying to play somewhere in i don't know if it's realistic but to play somewhere in every state and with the triple A schedule having a day off every Monday, I actually got to check off a few States. Um, <laughs> nice. So it's it, golf has become a, a hobby and a passion and whatnot. I'm still not very good, but um, <laughs> so like, if like going back to your question, like I'll go golf with anybody. I don't care if you're, if you're cool, if you're poor, if you're, yeah. if you're rich, if you're whatever, like, if you want to go play around a golf home down, like, I don't care if you have, if you, I'm sure you have a story that I'd be super interested in hearing, whether it's wherever you came from or how it is. So like, yeah, there's, like I said, I don't, I don't know any names to, to who those three people would be, but I can guarantee you it would be a pretty entertaining foursome with whoever it was. No, I'm probably pretty similar. As long as you can put up with my bad shots, like you could definitely golf with me. Like, it's not pretty, like I can hit it far. Like I did long drive golf and it just doesn't correlate on a golf course. But if you can kind of put up with me on a golf course, like you're all good. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go have a good four hours. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and then Eric, if you could be an Olympian in any sport, summer or winter, what sport would you like to do? <laughs> I have a, I have an odd interest in curling. <laughs> um, I, I laughed because I figured you'd like that. Yeah, um, no, it's a, it's, that's, but, a, that's a Canadian answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have never done it. And when I was in Wisconsin, had it not been COVID, I would have tried to find somewhere to, you know, brewers pitcher trying to see what curling's like. I would have tried to use that loophole. 
Um, but, uh, no, I have, I have a really odd interest in curling. And so like anytime that's on, like I, I turn it on for some reason. I don't know why my wife thinks it's annoyingly funny, but more annoying than funny, but, um, no, I, it, it's not the most, uh, probably usual answer you would ever get to that question, but I think it'd be fun to, to, to do some curling. Yeah. My, uh, my roommates actually, uh, he does the ice at a curling club here in Calgary. So if you ever, if you're ever in Calgary, we'll, we'll get you on the ice. All right. I can do that. That sounds fun. <laughs> and then lastly, Eric, just going to test your brain a little bit here on the 2015 Arizona fall league team that you were on. Do you remember the two Canadians that were your teammates? James Paxton. <laughs> yep. And another Canadian. Um, I guess a big, big, strong guy. He's on, I guess. The oh, O'Neill. O'Neill. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they were both Mariners. I was like, I, I, I know. Okay. Yeah. Heck of a season for him this year, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely always even just kind of fun. To, I mean, obviously, it's kind of small for Canadians to make it to the bigs, but when they do, it's definitely fun to follow them. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's like me with the state of Washington. Like, yeah, there's only there's only so many guys who come out of. I mean, the Northwest in general, but then specifically the state of Washington. I think there's four or five of us right now. So, um, I mean, it's like like you said, it's super cool to follow people from around your your part of town that that have made it to the to the absolute elite of a profession i appreciate you coming on eric is there any shout outs before we sign off oh um no i think i, I think i name drop all of my sidearm guys already and then <laughs> had to had to give had to give jim henderson a um shout out just because you know fellow fellow calgary guy he was he was upset that uh, Calgary let go of Giordano, and the Kraken took him. So I get to I get to tell him that all the time. But then the Flames are playing a lot better than the Kraken are. So he lets me know about that too. So um, no, I think I'm I think I'm good. I appreciate you having me on and listening to me talk for an hour. So um, it's a good time. She said, Do you come from a land down under? Where women glow and men plunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? Yeah You better run, you better take cover Yeah You better run, you better take cover